0: Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators podcast by Balai Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic worlds of Filipino American culture. In each episode, we delve into various aspects of film culture and speak with entrepreneurs, leaders, artists, and creators who are shaping and pushing the boundaries of their respective fields. Follow us on all social media at Balai Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. Chef Frances Tariga Weshneck is one of New York City's most critically acclaimed chefs. Originally from Manila, she started her career in Dubai working the first seven-star hotel in the world and eventually landed an opportunity as a personal chef to the Royal Ambassador of the UAE in the United Nations. She later took roles as an executive chef to restaurants of various concepts including Budokan and competed on some of the most popular culinary shows on TV like Chopped, Top Chef Season 13, Cutthroat Kitchen, and most recently winning the title of the first ever Morimoto's Sushi Master. Her Japanese Filipino-inspired Omakase, Trust Bay, is currently one of Manhattan's most talked about food experiences, drawing visitors from all over the world. In this conversation, Chef Francis candidly unpacks how her upbringing might have contributed to her self-doubt and credits therapy for helping her accept positive feedback about her food.
1: I think I was very, very hard on myself. Like I was like trying to prove something, like that I can do it. Like I was so stuck on like my situation 20 years ago. You know, even though like I'm really doing a lot of things, like good accolades. But like for me, it's like no. Even if I get a compliment, sometimes I can't accept thank yous. So I feel like no, they're just because it's free. That's why they're saying it's amazing. This something like that. But like, when I went to therapy, it's like, no, some people are really genuine saying that. But like in my head, it's like, no, what's the angle here, you know? My dad, you know, like growing up in the Philippines, my dad, while we're eating on the table, he just tells us the MO in the streets, you know, like, oh, mag-ingat kayo, ha? Huh? There's so much uh, people like slashing your bag. He's gonna teach us what the technique of the slasher, something like that. So. Growing up, like, and also my dad used to tell us, like, don't trust anyone, you know? Even if you know them, don't trust anyone. So it was like, I was very paranoid growing up, just because of what my dad keeps telling me also growing up.
0: This conversation is brought to you in collaboration with our sister program, The Seed Network. The Seed Network empowers BIPOC business owners since 2018 with the goal of accelerating the growth of business owners in Soma Filipinas and San Francisco. Seed Network provides business owners access to solutions, resources, and our own network to stimulate the economic activity and growth of Soma Filipinas. Chef Francis is joined today by Kristen Brillantes and J.P. Reyes, our Seed Network co-leads and co-owners of the Bay Area Filipino staple, The Surup Shop. You can find more information about the Seed Network at seednetwork.biz. And to follow Chef Francis on Instagram, find them at Chef Francis, Francis with an E.
2: I feel like I'm vibing with you. I have my questions up in front of me and I highlighted the ones that I really wanted to ask you. And before you jumped on... I actually highlighted it in the color of your hair. So the fact that you (laughs) jumped on in the same color makes me feel signal that we were meant to have this conversation.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So before we jump in, the Ballet Creative team has a tradition of giving space for us to call in our ancestors into the conversation, just like spiritually, emotionally, even in perspective. It doesn't have to be someone in your blood lineage, but just maybe somebody who has crossed or something that has crossed that has really like influenced you, either as a chef or just as a person. So is there anyone that you'd want to call in today that can provide energy into the conversation we're going to have?
1: Yeah, my uh, Lolo from my mother's side, Lolo Roman. Yeah, he was the one like who's really into cooking. And I was like, he's the one that inspired me the most. What's your one dish your lolo made
2: you that you miss the most?
1: It's a stone crab marinated in coconut milk. So the the crab eats the coconut milk and the coconuts. So when you steam the crab, inside it's like coconutty and crab. It's really good. So that's the one dish that I'm trying to regret and the one thing that I always remember that I can't copy.
3: Wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds you know, so good. I can't wait. Yeah.
1: <laughs> is there a
2: particular
1: memory you also have of your Lolo when he made that for you? Oh, yeah. You know, in the Philippines, it's in Mauban Quezon province. I grew up in Manila, but every summer, my dad always sent us in the province to, like, you know, spend time with the grandparents or, like, just be kid-free, probably. <laughs> like, their livelihood is, like, rice farm and coconuts. Yeah. Mm. They don't buy rice. They have their own rice. They have their own coconut. Everything is like sustainable over there. So
2: I was born here in the States, but every summer we would go to the Philippines. Our family would save everything that we have to be able to go. So I think that's my family's version of being kidless for the summer. And then we yeah. would spend time in Quezon City. We'd also go to Lucena and Infanta. Oh I always wanted to go to Masbate, which is my mom's province, but never got to go.
1: Lucena is like very near to my own It's like two towns away. Oh, so, yeah, we are neighbors. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I have a similar story too. Where uh, we went during the summers and Christmas and New Year's, and yeah, I would stay with my auntie, my tita, and uh, my Lola's sisters over in Kalumpit, Kalookan. It was just so fun. Yeah. Nice.
2: <laughs> I feel like we could go on about memories of our grandparents, but we do yeah, want to talk about your experience as a chef and how you got started. I know you shared already that your Lolo was a big influence, but how did you decide to pursue it as a career?
1: I mean, growing up in the Philippines, like, you know, everyone wants to be a nurse, right? My siblings are all nurses. And I was like, the ones that are like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, you know, growing up was like, a lesbian in the Philippines what we do is we just play pool you know that's like a swag if you know how to play pool so I want to pursue the yeah show. my parents like shit on my dreams immediately they're like no there's no money in that one so but I always like complain about you know they're always broke like well I'm better so I mm-hmm. was like All right. I tell them that I want to go to culinary school maybe they're gonna just stop it right so I said okay I want to go to culinary schools they said okay I was like, I thought you guys don't have money. They said, like, not to worry about it. So, yeah, I went to culinary school and then I kind of feel like that's my calling because, like, it was, like, just so natural. Plus, it's kind of like my bonding with my dad since, like, he's not okay with me being gay. So, because he's a police officer also in the Philippines. So, yeah, that's the only bond that we have that I remember that he doesn't judge me. Mm Hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. When you decided to ask them
2: if you could go to culinary school, because I imagine there's a lot of people who are going to see themselves in your story and sometimes coming to your parents and telling them this is a thing I want to do or even asking them to support you. Is there anything that you have even as advice or even the things that you tried that made you feel like you could go ahead and do it?
1: Well, first of all, the culinary scene in the Philippines is like... It, culinary school is just for rich people in the Philippines. I grew up in the hood in the Philippines. So, like, going to culinary school is already like... Damn, I have to speak English with these kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone has, like, a bodyguard in our culinary school. And meanwhile, I'm like... I have a Honda Civic, ESI, Lower world. But, like, you know, it is what it is. Like, most of the people in my class... For them, it was just for fun. But for me,
2: it's my career. So you can just shared that passion with your
1: parents and
2: they just saw that in you?
1: They actually don't believe me in the beginning. I would say that pushes me more. It's like my dad's like, don't worry, she's not going to finish that, you know, because like I mm. went to like colleges, like really don't want it, just play pool. And, you know, my dad already like talked to my mom it was like, why would you enroll that kid in culinary school? She doesn't even want to go to school. But like my mom, you know, all moms, like, it's okay. Maybe this time she's going to do good. And yeah, I went to culinary school and I went to Dubai like most Filipinos. That's when my career started. Yeah.
2: I imagine a lot of people also will resonate with that story of it's that tension of Filipino parental love of they kind of resist your dreams. But then when you get up the courage to say it, they'll still sort of neg you about it. But they will Sige, let's see what happens. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and it lights a different kind of fire. And you've been able to do so much with it. It's incredible.
1: Well, also, a lot of my relatives, like, oh, you know, they're very vocal about, you know, ano ba Tomboy And you don't want to go to school? What will happen to you? Oh, like, man. And now those aunties are, like, on Facebook. I'm so proud of you. Like, oh, I know. They're claiming you so hard, huh? <laughs> Remember, twenty years ago, you told me I'm not gonna make it. Oh okay, yeah, again, first, right? All right. Yeah. Sometimes they get really yes. emotional. So.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes As
1: sense. As you should. I
2: mean, you had to fight for having the ability to be seen, to be able to just enjoy your passion. My brother also, when we would spend the Philippine summers, he was always in the billiard halls, and there was a period of time he was trying to convince our parents let us just move here. You bring us here every year. Can we just stay? He wants to play billiards professionally. (laughs) And of course, our parents were like, no, you're not allowed to do that. Okay. I want to ask one more question. And then JP has a few questions too. You've had such a dynamic career, even starting in Dubai for people who did not grow up in the Philippines, you know, like not as many Philam kids have the experience of getting to travel abroad, work abroad, and you've worked in so many different places. And you've also had so many experiences with your family. I imagine that that has come with a lot of difficult experiences. And especially the culinary field. It is a field that we know just keeps testing you over and over again. What are the things that have kept you going in a field and in an industry? And even in like a culture that will constantly tell you you shouldn't be doing the thing that you're trying to do?
1: Well... Growing up, like, like I said, I'm constantly being judged just because of my preference, you know? That's the thing. Like, I'm a little, you know, medyo mayabang ako when I was younger. So, it's like, I don't prove to you guys that I can do it, you know? I think for the last 15 years, it's more like validation, you know? Like, I'm trying to, like... And then, you're on a survival mode also because you're OFW, you know? You gotta send money in the Philippines for your relatives that you don't even... See,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that, that see came with many other things <laughs> and feelings that maybe, like
1: yeah, you know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like a few years ago, I was very Filipino. Like my mentality is like, I'm doing this for my family. You know, like the priority is always the family. But like, I really don't think about myself, like my own happiness. And then I think. Over the years of, like, all these experiences and my journey, during pandemic, that's when I, like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do me, And I I set some boundaries. So I lost a lot of people. I lose a lot of, you know, family, probably family members, too, I would say. But, like, if you can't respect that boundaries, I can't do anything about it, you know, like, Right now it's like, I feel like everything that I visualize over the years is happening. I mean, even my family, I don't want them to like, just ruin it. Like, for example, I'm not saying this is my mom, this is just an example. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, like texting me, like, can you give discount to my friend's friend's friend? Like, do you know her? Like, you know, something like that. But yeah, it is what it is. That's our parents sometimes.
2: I think like some of the things that you said that even resonate for me and JP is the just giving yourself permission to feel confident about yourself and not relying on other people anymore to provide that for you. Like it still matters in different ways, but it's sounding that right now you're not making that the center of your motivation. Like your happiness now is also at the center of your motivation. And the other piece that you were saying that gave me goosebumps was I'm also like a caregiver for a family here and also in the Philippines. And I really resonate with you saying that we do everything for our family. But the moment that we realize too, that we're people in our family, too. Uh And it's like, who's taking care of us ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. And then you saying it, that's so inspiring to hear that other people are getting the courage to say, like, I'm part of this family, too. Everything that I'm doing for you, I also deserve to receive so mm-hmm.
0: when you
1: were saying that it literally gave me goosebumps <laughs> yeah i mean it's like you know i told my family that i go to therapy and like there's gonna be some changes Or, are you crazy why you go to therapy i'm like because of you just kidding <laughs> <laughs> and i tried to encourage my mom you want to go to therapy with me and my sister's like no she's too old for that
2: we are all having the same conversations in our households. <laughs> I, last week at dinner, was telling my mom, maybe consider therapy, and her response, and I respect her response. She says she brings it to church, but then I'm like, yeah, you I mean, still Jeff- call me all the God.
1: time for these.
2: <laughs> but yeah, in fairness, I love her too. Okay, sorry, JP, you've got questions too.
3: Yeah, I know you mentioned like it was during the pandemic where you kind of, had this realization was there like a specific event or like catalyst that like triggered it
1: so during pandemic I had a girlfriend like we were both working a lot so pandemic happened after two weeks we broke up you know she left and I was like holy shit what am I gonna do it by myself my family's all in West Coast I was like you know, what am I going to do? And I was, my friends were like, well, this is the time for you to like, do what you really want. And then, yeah, I still went to therapy and did like a lot of, uh, you know, some work with, I work with myself basically. Cause like, I feel like for the last, I would say like, yeah, 15 years, I was like on survival mode. And like my therapist keep telling me like, you're not on that situation anymore. You're okay now. You know, but like as an immigrant also, it's like, you know, you always need to like, I start from zero. You know, nobody helped me. My siblings, I was like, I remember back in the day, I told my siblings like, yo, help me out. I want to come to America. They were like, I don't know. You're not a nurse. I can't help you. So that's why I went to Dubai. So yeah.
3: Thanks for sharing that. And uh wanted to touch on boundary setting. Like that's Something that's a little tough to do. I'm still practicing boundary setting. It's hard, you know. I'm always crossing the boundary. Do you have any tips that you could share? And like, what was your process like?
1: In the beginning, they're not going to like it, you know. There's going to be a lot of like, violent reactions, you know. Like, mayabang ka because you make it? No, mom. (laughs) I feel like I'm talking to her. But... It's yeah, okay, and I, let it out. In, in, the, in the beginning, she was like, now she she leave me alone. She's like, oh, if she's not ready, I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready yet, you know. But, like, I still check on her with my sister. Like, cause she, she's with my sister now. She want to come here. I told her, I'm not ready for you yet. So, We're a very old school family. My mom doesn't want to stay in a hotel. I was like, mm. Mom, I can afford a hotel now. You okay. know, stay there. I like my privacy. No. Very old No, schools. they want to stay in your house. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Sure. And then
1: while they're in your house, they also want to comment on everything. And that's how they measure yeah. your success. <laughs> yeah. Like for my mom, it's like if I don't eat the food that she cooked for me, she's like, oh, my God, I went to the grocery. I cook all day and you're not going to eat. I'm like, I told you not to cook. You know, like, she always cleaned my apartment. Like, I'm like, you know what you're going to find in a lesbian apartment? Stop touching my shit. (laughs) It's so true. There's this thing we were talking
2: about with our friends recently about how in Filipino culture, if you're looking at like, love languages, acts of service is probably the primary love language of all of us. But for our parents, they also want to dictate the way you receive their act of service. They want you to have a smile on your face and that's what I'm picturing (laughs) is happening with your example of your mom did all these things that she cares about, not really attuning to your needs and wants, but wants you to say, this is awesome and exactly what I wanted.
3: (laughs) So like as a chef, that's like you travel to different places, open many restaurants and as a queer chef Filipina, like do you have any advice to other aspiring chefs who feel represented by seeing you in the media, who look up to you and your accomplishments?
1: It's funny because, like, I had a lot of uh, messages from uh, Filipino lesbians. You know, we're butchers in the Philippines, right? Because of the gender norm. So they're aspiring chefs. So I told them, like, you know what? Like, don't chase money. Just, you know, keep going. Like, just hone your skills. Your time will come. I mean, I chased money for a while, And it didn't serve me well. Now that I'm not, you know, I'm just being true to myself. I feel like I'm free. And like people are really loving Filipino food. I made it a little different than your normal Filipino food. And just, you know, added Japanese just because I won Sushi Masters just for people to have like, you know, reference sometimes. But yeah, I mean, they love it they love it. So I was like, damn, like it just opened an opportunity for me like the next restaurant I'm opening is going to be a modern Filipino fine dining six course tasting menu. It's under work right now, so they say January 2024. Well, we'll see. There's a lot of issues in New York City before you open a restaurant.
2: Yeah, imagine the opening process is long, but I love that you're referencing other Filipino chefs that are doing modern takes on our culture because I think it's important that for everybody that's involved in especially the food scene it's such like a healing space for any of us right because it's one way that you're expressing who you are through food and having people receive you and so for this generation of folks like y'all kasama like either francis at abaca Like everyone's bringing a perspective and it reminds me now that this is our generation's version of you better eat at all of your auntie and uncle's houses and you better find at least one thing on that menu that you like and friendly competition is fine. (laughs) But also we really hope that everybody does support each other so that we can cycle break what we saw our aunties and uncles generations do, which was tear each other down and like And they they displace their anger on our generation. (laughs) And for us to be able to cycle break that and like support and like encourage everybody to try everybody's spot. That's actually going to be a thing that helps all of us feel really seen and healed through, especially like the mode of food. So it's going to be exciting. Do you have a timeline of when you're trying to open your next spot?
1: January 2024. But you know what's funny? I'm going to just add this. You know, there's a lot of aunts and like Lola's that come to my amahase, And like in the beginning, they're really hesitant, the faces like, like especially mothers. I heard this mom saying like, why do you breaking into a Filipino restaurant? I eat this every day. And then she's like, mom, this is different. So and then they sat down, you know, she was say, like, you know, snob, I can cook this at home. And then my the fourth dish. she's like, ah, it's different. So yeah, it's yeah. Yeah.
2: And also again, that's awesome. And also like we're that next generation of Titas and Titos. And we know we're not gonna get all the validation always from the ones that come to our spots. But if we can be that for each other, I imagine you even getting to have that person bring their mom and have that moment, how powerful that was.
1: Yeah. I've seen a lot of Phil Amps. The Phil Amps are like, I think we've become like a destination restaurant for Filipinos in New York. Because like they go to Here Life's Love, watch Here Life's Love, and then finish with a dinner with me or start the dinner with me. It's like their Filipino tour.
3: So it's fun. That's funny. That's what our best friends did. They watched a show and uh, <laughs> they had dinner at your place.
2: Yeah, and also similar story. They're a gay couple. They've been dating for, I don't know, 16 years. They just got married last year, but have been also on their own journey of exploring what it means to have acceptance from their family. And they really wanted to make sure that when they went on their anniversary trip to mark a year of being married, they, they did the thing they saw here, let love. And they specifically wanted to go to your restaurant to support a queer chef from their community. And I, I just say like, There's so many people who are older than us who don't even have the ability to experience that, you know, and because you're creating what you're creating and all of us are really trying to do what we're doing. It's just been, again, very healing for multiple people.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like loving the vibe and hearing your stories of how you create these journeys for your diners of, you know, they invite their moms or titas and they don't want to eat. I can make this or I've had this before and then, you know, third, fourth dish, it's like totally blows their mind, right? That must be so freeing and like validating of like you thinking outside the box and just being loud. So that's pretty cool. What's your process for like creating new dishes and like what are some of your inspirations?
1: Do you want me to be really honest with you? Hell yes. I'm going to guess, do you get super lit? <laughs> yes. Yo. The best idea is when you're super freaking hot. Because, like, you're eating it in your head, like, yo, wouldn't it be nice to, like, put the fog around a scallop? And then you're thinking about the texture, also cold, you know? That's how I created it. I swear to God. And people just laugh at me. I'm like, well, that's how I freaking created it. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, should I tell them, honestly? But, like, it's, I don't want to be fake. I tell people all the time, like, you can fucking judge me. I smoke weed every day. I serve you food while I'm high. I competed on Sushi Master while I'm freaking high the whole time. And I freaking won the show. So, well, that's yeah. very, you know. Powerful. All right,
2: cannabis companies out there, you better sponsor Chef Francis.
1: <laughs> Actually, and I do have a sponsor, sponsor now. What, you do? <laughs> yes. I'm doing a whole lot, but I'm like, I don't know yet the the dates are not matched because we've been very busy in the restaurant, I would say. We're very grateful that, you know. But like I said, it's like we saw a really big opportunity in this one. Like my partners, you know, they're like, hmm, I didn't know that, you know, Philippines were going to support you this much. It's like literally a lot of from the Bay Area, like the whole city sometimes, all from the Bay Area. I'm like, damn. A lot of uh, tech money in there, huh?
2: There is tech money, but I will say more so it's just the vibe out here is we just really want to see everybody succeed because again, we're looking to each other for that validation, for that comfort, for that support that we didn't always grow up with. And I think right now we're in that pocket of realizing if we don't do it for ourselves and each other, like no one else is going to give it to us. And the ways that Filipinos love is so different than any other culture. Not saying it's better or worse, but just the love is so deep. Like that's why you got crazy ass words that can Mm -hmm. mean 17 different flavors of love and why even if our parents are being somewhat toxic to us, we still are ride or die to (laughs) help them (laughs) financially, emotionally, spiritually. There's like that unconditional love that's not really seen in different ways. So Mm -hmm. us out here will... Literally fly out. You don't even need to have tech money. We'll fly out in support.
1: <laughs> I mean, hopefully I can open a restaurant in the Bay Area also. Calling all the investors, okay? Money yeah, investors <laughs> She's <the> call out. <laughs> also, we have a lot of like, you know, partners that wanna open with us. The problem is finding a female chef. I get called out by like putting on Instagram looking for a female chef and they told me about what freaking Article 7 is, like, you can't do inclusive. I'm just like, I'm just trying to give these lesbians a chance, you know? Like, I want to coach my people. Like, I want them to succeed, because, like, I'll be honest with you, 20 years ago, I didn't say this in the beginning, but I was a junkie. I was, like, doing a lot of drugs in the Philippines. Like, when you're young, you're stupid, right? But, like, Everyone judge you. I mean, like I said, like a lot of people judge me because of like what I'm doing in the past. And yeah, you can totally change your life if you wanted to. You know, yeah, like, that's like, super like, powerful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
3: and I love how like you know your one of your values and like missions of trust base to empower like women and like aspiring chefs and giving them that type of opportunity. But that's so interesting about the that article you you mentioned uh yeah, have you thought of real. any ways to try to overcome that
1: to be honest with you like i start not giving a fuck on anything you know but like I, I do me you do you you know like whatever you say that's your own opinion that's not my opinion i used to be very petty you know like i was like very immigrant like everything is like not good for me you know like I need validation. Now I'm like, no, not perfect, you know, I mean, I have to choose my battles sometimes. Now it's like, I'm just so like, vibey right now that I just don't want negative energy. Even if you're my family, you're not giving me good vibes. I'm like, stay there. You're gonna be okay there. I'm okay over here. That's it. Yeah, that's literally
2: liberation you're living a liberated life that's actually practicing choosing yourself every moment because it sounds like you're acknowledging when there are times that something's trying to pull you into like the old ways that you might have been operating or like the old reactions you might have had which was anger because you deserved a lot of your anger you were treated in ways where you never really seen So you have permission to that. But now you're realizing because you're in this new state of not needing the anger to keep you safe anymore because you have creativity, you have community, you have stability and freedom. That's not a thing that you have to hold on to as much. But you know when to whip it out if you need it.
1: (laughs) Hell yeah. Little things now, I'm like, no, I will stay away from that one. Like, I would pay $1,000 to sleep for 24 hours. you kidding me? Like, I feel like the more you get older also, it's like the perspective is very different. When I was younger, I just want material things, you know. That's uh, the language of love of our parents also. They're like, I'm not going to buy you this if you're not going to give me good grades. You know, it's like very transactional. I mean, my parents did a really good job they're very strong personality, but like I did repair it myself because there were a lot of like bad habits that I thought that it was okay so in the Philippines. It was okay, so But when it came to America, people look at me like I'm not, you know, for example, like a lot of things. The way of thinking also, like we're very much, I don't know, I feel like when I first came here, I was like very greedy. I want everything, but not staying true to who I am. Like, I don't want to be related to Filipinos. You know what I mean? Because, like, I'm trying to look like... I don't know. There was a stage in my life that I was like that. I was in denial of who I am because I want to be... I want to belong to something because I'm an immigrant, you know? So for me to belong to a community, I need to pretend... It was very pretentious and it's not healthy, you know? But, like, over the years of, like, staying here or like just, you know, reworking on myself. It's like, it's not worth it, you know. Yeah.
2: And I think what you're touching on is when people immigrate here to the U.S., there's a piece of survival that needs to happen. And the survival mechanisms that we learn from our parents is to assimilate to what is deemed powerful at the time. And so for certain parents, that was don't attach so hard to Filipino culture because especially in the Philippines with the impact of colonialism, we were taught to be ashamed of who we are. Mm -hmm. There was somebody who we recently had a conversation with that was saying that one of the reasons why Filipino food did not take off sooner is because our parents' generation felt so much shame about who we are that they thought, oh, if I put Filipino food out, no one will buy it. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. value. And I feel for them because they probably did experience that to a certain degree. And so the reason why we emphasize so much that it's our generation that has to model how we support each other is because all of that generations of shame that is still there and we all still felt it in different ways growing up but now that we all have economic power in different ways we can now have the ability to do it for ourselves just like what you're talking about how you're living and even you wanting to like make an effort to support filipina chefs and also queer chefs we were talking about that too the other day. We're like, where, wh- how do we just make that happen more often? Because even in the headlines, it's still mostly male Filipino chefs that are getting a lot of the spotlight and it's well deserved. But in addition to that, we need more representation from the women Yo, and there, also the
1: queer community. There's a lot of good Filipino, Filipino female chefs in, in the country here. Yeah. But like, yeah. The, also with me, like, um, for example, like opening a restaurant, I'll be the chef de cuisine and I'm just going to drop, okay. And the, the executive chef, you know, a white guy, whatever. But you do all the work and you don't get credit just because it's not more. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm seeing it on the business side. But at the same time, I'm like, damn, I'm doing all the work and this assholes getting all the credits. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, when I moved here, you know, I was very, like, naive also, like, for me, everything is okay. Like, it's freaking annoying. Like, for Filipinos, it's like, hey, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Now, I was like that before. But, you know, everything is okay, even though it's not okay. Now I'm like, you're gonna freaking hear it from me. Like, I'm very vocal now. I'm like, yo, no, you know, like, it is what it is. Like, that's how I feel about it. But it's not personal.
0: Yeah,
2: or sometimes it is personal, and that's okay to call out. And people don't always hear that from from women calling out when things are not okay and standing up for ourselves.
1: And yeah, another thing I remember, like this was here in New York City. Also, you know, most of my experiences in like uh, volume restaurants, we do fifteen hundred covers a day. If a female yells in the kitchen, this was back in the day, okay, old school. You can't yell now. HR is there. So back in the day, like, if a female chef yells, you're a freaking crazy lesbian. But if a male, white male yells, it's a chef. You know what I mean? Like, are you fucking kidding me? You're writing me up because I yell. How about this guy? Yeah. I will
2: say that I think that also happens to women chefs and in particular, Panay chefs. We, JP and I, worked with two. The head chef at Chase Center is actually Filipina. And she's tiny, but a powerhouse. And then another person that worked with us, her name is Roxanne. Um, Also, she's exactly what you're describing, like the number two person to usually a white male executive chef. And not only are you busting out dope dishes because you're a relationship master from having to do it for your family, you're also the peacekeeper, keeping everything going. So you also don't get compensated for that labor too. So with your example of, If you're the one that's like calling something out or yelling when you're supposed to be the person that's like keeping everything calm and smooth, you get reprimanded
1: and it's incredibly unfair. You know, I I told that to HR also like, yo, like seriously, like, I don't know what to say. All right, write me up. But I'm just letting you know this is what's happening. And I'm like, I'm under that umbrella, you know, like Asian, lesbian, immigrant. But, like, no, it didn't work like that. You're still just an angry lesbian. And it's okay. Cause their opinion. I used to be an angry lesbian, I would say. You know, like, I think I was very, very hard on myself. Like, I was, like, trying to prove something, like, that I can do it. Like, I was so stuck on, like, my situation 20 years ago. Like, I still see myself as a crackhead. You know, even though, like, I'm really doing a lot of things, like, you know, like good accolades. But like for me, it's like, no, even if I get a compliment, sometimes I can't accept thank you also. So I feel like, no, they're just because it's free. That's why they're saying to me, It's something like that. But like you went when I went to therapy, it's like, no, some people are really genuine saying that. But like in my head, it's like, no, what's the angle here, you know? My dad, you know, like growing up in the Philippines, my dad, while we're eating on the table, he just tells us the MO in the streets, you know, like, oh, there's so much uh, people like slashing your bag. He's going to teach us what the technique of the slasher, something like that. So growing up, like, and also my dad used to tell us, like, don't trust anyone, you know, even if you know them, don't trust anyone. So it was like, I was very paranoid growing up. Just because of what my dad keeps telling me also growing up. Yeah,
2: I bet. And everybody listening to this is nodding their head in agreement of all the warnings that we got. And it does impact the ways that you feel safe to pursue what you want to pursue or just, again, existing can feel really scary. It
1: took a while. It took a a lot of, like, um, I have to, like, educate myself in order for me to make it here in New York. Like, everyone's replaceable here, I would say that. Like, even if you're, like, that good, if you fuck it up, like, there's always
3: someone after your job. With that, the industry of the kitchen has been kind of, like, uh, male-heavy, and how has it evolved until now, and, like, what changes are you, like, making to make it more open? Then also, like, the Filipino food scene, how has it evolved in New York?
1: i would say i'm still in my old school style but like make it like more it's a little different but still like i'm hard like yo my name is on you know it's not your name on the line there i'm very strict when it comes to product but like i would say just being in the kitchen a female in the kitchen is like you gotta act tough especially in a new york kitchen where everyone's like experience also Like, even when I was a sous chef, as a sous chef, it's like, you're, you know, you're a glorified line cook, basically. Like, nobody respects you. I mean, before, back in the day, it's so hard to gain that respect. Like, I have to prove everything. And it's like, everyone's, like, hesitant of you. Like, everyone doesn't believe in you because you're a female. They think you can't do it. But, like, I feel like now there's so much changes after a pandemic it's just different. Like, nobody wants to be a chef now, actually. Like, why would they, you know, why would they work 12 hours when they can do something, work from home, or, like, record a YouTube video, something like that? You know, why would they want to be abused also? Like, I mean, now it's more like, if it's not a safe space, no one's gonna work with you. I would say back in the day, I used to be, like, an angry chef. Like, I mean, I think in my head, like being tough is like acting like angry or like bossy. But no, well, I would say now it's very different. Like, you got to be more sensitive to like the people around you. Cause, like I said, my immigrant mind before was like, it's always like, what's her problem again? Oh my God, that's it? That's her problem. You know, not knowing that everyone handles a problem differently. Like, I remember my ex-wife told me right? she goes to therapy because she got beaten up, not beaten up, like slapped by her dad. And I was like, damn, like my dad throws a chair in me and like, I'm okay. We always fight every day. That's not a problem. But like in my head, in my immigrant head, I was like, that's not a problem. That's not a real problem. So yeah, I mean, and also like, Growing up in the Philippines and being on survival mode, I feel like I don't have a lot of empathy. And I'm trying to learn that, you know? Because it's always like, if someone cut themselves, I'm like, it's all right. He's going to live. You know what I mean? It's so hard for me to give empathy to someone. Because like, if I get cut, I'm like, you know? Yeah, is- I think
2: what you're pointing out is like in the Philippines, the survival is so severe sometimes from what we all go through that it's hard. To put sometimes the same perspective when it's not that sort of life or death or even like severe abuse experience, Uh but creating more capacity for everyone to recognize that there are multiple things that can be harmful and for us to also say survival shouldn't be good enough anymore for ourselves, that for you to introduce that into the workplace and even just explore what it means for you, especially as a business owner. And a manager now to create that for your team as you're healing yourself. Like, that's a very interesting experience to have to go through. But I imagine also a very powerful one because these are the moments that you get to practice having new methods for creating safety.
1: But don't get me wrong, I still get, I'm very strict in the kitchen. For me, it's like, mm-hmm. yo, that's not my vision. Like, especially this is no other problem. Like, I love hiring her people, right? Sometimes the problem is like, especially when they're like male immigrants, it's so hard for them to listen to a uh, female ones. They're stuck with their freaking, like, dude, you freaking work for me, okay? We're not friends here. Like, it's so hard for them to understand that. So I hire mostly Filipinos just because they get it, they get the idea. But the problem with that is that it feels like family right because you guys talk the same language and there's no boundaries that's when they get so relaxed and now you're the asshole you call them out you know I'm
2: yeah. like, and it's also the translation of sometimes work culture in the philippines could feel that way that you try to make it feel like a family for loyalty for care but it doesn't always actually yeah. work out in the way that you need to
1: yep I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I feel like I've hired a lot of Filipinos. I understand them because I feel the same way before when I got here, you know. Like, I don't want to be told I got this, you know. Like, but yeah, you know, no, it doesn't work like that. Just saying. So, uncles, okay, listen to your bosses. Okay, magulo. Uh,
2: yeah. Titos, if you're working in these kitchens, make sure you're giving them a chance to run the kitchen the way that they want to run it. Get on board or get out.
1: (laughs) And wash your hands. (laughs) Yeah, we're just being honest. (laughs) Well, like I said, I grew up in the hood. I saw my dad peeing outside the house, outside, in the mall the whole time. Never saw him washing his hands. And that's what everyone doing the... This is in my neighborhood. Okay? This is not in the rich area. But what I'm saying is like, they don't have anything to eat. Are they going to worry about washing their hands? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just different. But yeah, I would say like, yep, we're in America now, guys. We should wash our hands. Because in our Filipino mentality, like for example, like the, you know, the food handling. I'm like, don't leave the rice outside or like, don't leave the food outside. You know, the dangers. I, I'm trying to explain the dangers on. And they're going to give you, like, in the Philippines, you leave that for three days for okay. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. dude, you're going to freaking shut my restaurant down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's so hot. It's okay. Bitch, please. No. Yeah.
3: It's, like, it's going to taste better overnight.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, no. Fucking health department comes here. They're going to freaking close this restaurant. Pangat. Pangat long hinid. Yes. <laughs> okay. I want to
2: switch guys a little bit really quick. Because you just have had so many different experiences in the culinary world. And I feel like people are going to poke me after if I don't ask you about your experiences on TV. Because <laughs> I can talk to you on and on about our culture and like everybody about it. So you've been, I think, on what is it now? Five competitions on? Six competitions?
1: Five, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Can you tell us about the process of how you did this five times and then what was it like?
1: So, this is like a dream for me. I was in Dubai and I was watching Chop, you know. I want to be on that show. You know, it was just a dream. Okay, I was like, if I have a chance to come to America, if I get a tourist visa because, like, I'm stable in New York, I'm going to just TNT. Like, I'm just going to you know, and this is a real story. You know, But, like, it's, like, it's my destiny to come here. Like, I was working with the princess that time. She was going to get married. So there was a an available position for the ambassador of UAE to the United Nations. And after 10 days, they flew me here. And then when I came here, I was, like, fresh off the boat. My English really, like, it's okay. Ha. Like, like literally like that. I auditioned. Like, I submit my application on CHOP. And then I got casted. Like, I was just here for six months at that time. I got casted. But, like, I competed on Chop first because that was a dream. And then, like, you know, in the casting producers are doing, they're casting in like different shows. My name is like probably thrown in there, like, oh, cooking shows is all about personality, also. You know, Asian, lesbian, thick accent, fucking good TV, right? So I get casted all the time. Yeah, Chop. And also, I was subtitled a lot, too. But, like, I would say when I was on Top Chef, I didn't know that it was that premium, you know? I was just like, all right, let's do this. But, like, I was really naive. I don't understand a lot of words. I was just here for two years. They freaking used the word cohesive. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is cohesive? We don't use that in our daily lives. I'm like... So, anyway, Top Chef was tough, but, like, I feel like that skyrocketed my career. It's, like, after Top Chef, I was offered to be a partner and open a restaurant called Migui. It's a Japanese restaurant. And then from a sous chef at Budokan, it's, like, just executive chef, chef, you can see. And then after Top Chef, I did, like, you know, some, I think, beat Bobby Flay, but that was, like, the weirdest time of my life. And Sushi Masters, it's the same production as Top Chef. Not the same company, but like the producers are mostly the same. Yeah, I got casted. And by that time, I was the culinary director of a vegan restaurant. You can find it on LinkedIn. But anyway, and I got casted and they said, like, I can't go because it's a non-vegan competition. And I freaking remember Joe always said, you got to follow your dreams. I was like... You know what and i was like nervous like i'm an immigrant i don't have a backup plan i don't have that you know money in the bank you know if you miss a paycheck in america you're fucked especially when you start from zero so anyway when i did sushi masters because i've been doing cooking shows for a while now so it's like i know what to do now you know like i came prepared i practiced here at home actually before i went to california I was like, for sure they're going to throw some eel in there. So I was like trying to kill an eel and I was like crying and my girlfriend's taking a video of me. Like, I just don't want to be cut off guard if they want us to kill an eel. You know, like I haven't experienced it. But like I came prepared. I freaking watched Omakase, on either Omakase series, like all of them. And you know what I've noticed? They're all the same. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going to compete on the show this time, I'm going to stay true to myself. And I want to represent Filipinos in this, you know, so that's why I was like making a lot of Filipino food in a Japanese competition. But like, I don't know. This was like during pandemic when I was like, oh, Filipino cuisine, there's nobody's like really doing something like really different that time. During Sushi Masters, like I said, like I have severe ADHD, like I do 20 things at the same time. That's why I learned that I need to freaking smoke before I compete. I go to the bathroom ten one. Ten one means going to the bathroom. Take my babe. Yo. I was chill as fuck on the show. Like I was like killing it. Like and you know, when you're high, you're like teasebus like you want it salty, sweet. I feel it works well for me. But yeah, guys, I was high the whole time on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it works.
2: I love that. And also just the fact that you were just being yourself and that that was enough to just be represented in all these different shows.
1: That's a secret. Just stay true to who you are. I remember when I was so pretentious. I'm like, it, you know, it always bites me in the ass all the time. You said you were like this, like this. Oh, I said that. But, like, it doesn't serve me well. So I'm like, you know what? If they don't like it, they're not going to like it. But I'm going to say it anyway. Some people don't like it, you know? And they call me sometimes an asshole, but it is what it is. like, nobody's going to tell you this. Kuya, listen. Nobody's going to tell you this, okay? This is the harsh reality. You know, sometimes I tell them, like, you're a little delusional. I mean, I'm just being honest. It's okay to dream high, okay? But you need experience. It takes time. You need to hone your skills. I didn't win Sushi Master just because of my good personality. It's 20 years of cooking experience and honing my skills. Repetition makes it perfect. I would say that. When I joined Sushi Master, I was like, well, I have great knife skills, you know? And I was like, maybe I can win them. But, like, it took. A lot of time. I get it. Like, we want to rush things, but the more you rush it, no, just just wait for your return. It will come. When that right moment comes, don't just grab it in the neck, never let it go. That's it.
3: That is true. That's a good reminder that, like, time will come. Just be patient. Yeah. I love that throughout this whole conversation, how, you know, you've done so much work for yourself and for the community but also staying true to you, like finding that confidence to this, hold on to your voice and just being true to yourself and how much you've been able to accomplish and progress. Like, it's it's amazing. Thank you. All right, so you have a 24-hour layover in San Francisco. What spots are you hitting up? I will just
1: go to my aunt's house and eat the, you know, home-cooked meals. Because like, I don't know, that's how I feel about it.
3: That's cool. That's good. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. Same thing
2: though. Then two two other locations. What would you eat 24 hours in New York? And then also, you spent so much time in Dubai, like international perspective. Where
1: would you go if you were visiting Dubai again? Good. I mean, now it's very different. I would go to like those like small street restaurants, the, the Lebanese restaurant, the Indian restaurants. They have the most authentic food, the better food. So that roast chicken with garlic sauce on the street, that's what I'm missing in Dubai. Not the fine dining one. You're always going to find the best food in the streets. For me, okay? It's me. Not for everyone, probably. And then New York? New York. Besides Trust Bay. (laughs) That's hard. I like to go to Missy or like Don Angie, something like that. Italian place but like I I mean I eat Filipino food every day and like during my days off I order Mama Fina's sisig and turon cholesterol and diabetes (laughs) I like your flavor profile I too love Italian food and then also
2: those same things in Filipino food (laughs) Yeah. I guess before we end,
1: is there any last things that you wanted to say or cover? I would say like Tatana coming soon. It's like a modern Filipino fine dining six-course tasting menu. Yeah, the concept's really cool. It's like a sari-sari store in front but like inside you're going to be transported in the Philippines. Something like that. And also, for all the Filipinos out there, especially those lesbians in there, stay true to who you are. It's okay to be you. And it's okay... And be proud for who you are. Like Filipinos popping right now. We're cool right now. Or the new Koreans. No, for real, we popping. Like I feel like a lot of people right now are really they're curious about Filipino food, you know? A lot of my clientele also, they're like curious about Filipino food, especially the non-Filipinos. They're like, Oh, I didn't know that Filipino food's like this good. My gabbage. Absolutely. We feel
2: that too. We're like, where have you been eating? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so yeah,
3: much. Yeah, it feels dope. Salamat. salam.
0: I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from listening to Chef Francis and their powerful origin story was that transformation and healing can happen at any stage in your life. And it really starts with you believing in yourself. Their story is a great reminder that no matter where your starting point is, you have the ability to change the trajectory of your story with self-belief, a passion for your craft, and some really good therapy to establish healthy boundaries. What I also appreciate about Chef Francis was the amount of hard work, resiliency, and skill they put into manifesting their dreams. You know, I think a lot of people think manifestation just means writing down your goals and putting up a vision board but no chef francis shows that sometimes with big dreams you have to take some big risk and moving to new york city is maybe the riskiest thing anyone can do i know i lived in new york for 10 years it's not just enough to write down your dreams but you really have to believe in those dreams make some big moves, and continue to work on your craft. So when lightning strikes, you're ready. That's something I constantly tell folks. Stay ready. Your time is coming. Don't lose your confidence in yourself. Put in the work, work on your skills, and your time will come. You can find Chef Francis on Instagram at Chef Francis with an E. Follow Kristen and JP at The Syrup Shop or The Seed Network. Cultural Cultivators is hosted by me, Nicole Saliver. You can follow me on Instagram at Kindred Kapwa. This podcast is co produced by John Reyes and Belay Creative and is a product of Cultivate Labs.
1: Stay in touch at belaycreative.org.